I'm continuing on this series called Forgotten Price. I tell you, it's, it's an interesting time to be alive. It is very interesting. With everything that's taking place and all the stuff that takes, you know, sometimes is often hidden. Um, if you've been keeping up with anything that's been going on, and there's lots of talk about the voice, and, and there's lots of talk about what's happening in Northern Territory, and what's happening, what's happening in Canberra and overseas and stuff. And I, I've, you know, if you're putting your faith in the government to solve the world's problems, um, it's probably misaligned with the interest rates, the inflation rates set to probably increase in the next few days and um, everything seems to be going up. It can be an interesting time to live trying to work through all the challenges that come with it, you know? But I can tell you, like I said, if you're going to put your faith in the government, it might be misaligned. And uh, I am so thankful that my faith is in God because He is ever, ever so faithful to me. I know during certain periods of time and we declutter and we spring clean and we sort out stuff. And my wife, you can always tell when she's in a certain frame of mind, she sorts rooms out and I've learnt after 15 years of marriage to leave her alone <laughs> to make sure that I'm out of the way so I don't get decluttered as well um, she likes order <laughs> and she hates clutter and and she likes to sort through things I think oh, I can't remember what it was like last year last year she went through this period of time where she was cleaning out multiple rooms in our house and I just get out of the way. But that's sometimes what's got to happen. You've got to declutter. You've got to spring clean. You've got to get rid of things that you no longer need. And in a world that can be challenging, sometimes we need to do the same things with our heads. Sometimes we need to do the same things with our minds and how we look at things. And navigating through these perilous times, you know, if you're... If you're keeping up with anything, you know, trying to understand this woke culture, um, it can be difficult for believers. Um, I mean, the left-wing culture, left-wing woke culture, is a bizarre propaganda of any social mentality that pushes everyone that should be included to the point of being excluded simply because you don't agree with them. It's this weird concept that they've come up with, but it's so anti-God. And the truth is, if that's woke, I want to be asleep. And over the years, in the same period of time as we've watched society drift and change, I've watched the direction of the church, where it's going and what happens in it. And it's interesting that so much of the world impacts how the church reacts and responds, which is not a good thing. Now, we've got to remember the church is not the people. Oh, sorry, not the building, it's the people. It's not the building, it's the people. And I'm not referring to just one church, because our church is awesome. Right? All you guys are phenomenal. But I'm talking about the whole church, the Western church, the culture. And in some ways, and I'm going to use a word that may not necessarily be favorable, but it can be almost narcissistic. We can be very generally me-centered in our Christianity. That's not everyone, and not this church. 
But this is, the world is focused on me, I, self. And it can be hard to sort of grasp whole or be truthful with ourselves because we don't like to hear words that generally put ourselves in a negative connotation. And sometimes we're overly kind to ourselves. We often look to our own benefit. You know, we, we judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. Oh, I'm meaning well. And that person, shocking. We struggle to be truthful to ourselves. We don't want to be overly critical, right? We don't look at ourselves as how I can improve, but rather we compare ourselves to others based upon what they have and what I don't have. What we aren't. And this has obviously become because we live in a fallen world, a sinful world. Where truth be told, life is good at a human concept. Meaning, in Australia, we are the land of the lucky country. It is good. People come to Australia because we live in a good country. You can get a job, especially now. Right? Most of the time you can get a house. Now it's a bit tough. Right? You can have a family, you can go to a hospital, have kids and not have to worry about anything. We have things called Google where you can Google, see doctors and then Google your responses to see if it matches up. We have all the forms of different entertainment. You can make a good wage. You can drive a, a decent car. Your kids can go to have a decent education. Right? Life is good. When we get sick, we can go to see a GP or a chemist, get some sort of medication. Like I said before, you can see even talk to Dr. Google. Life is good. And even if we're in poverty in Australia, we already live above 90% of the world. That's an interesting statistic. I mean, the Western world is extremely wealthy. Extremely wealthy. And even when life is hard, it's really good in comparison. But it can be difficult to find our own worth when we're surrounded with such abundance. Especially because we have this thing where we can, are in comparison to what others have. But we compare, we compare ourselves to those in a fallen world whose focus is on me, myself and I. I asked myself this question the other day. I said, if Google vanished, who would I ask to find out what happened to Google? We live to be entertained, and boy, is there a lot of it. We love to be entertained, but we don't like to be challenged. We don't like to be told we don't measure up, but we don't like to, be, to ask for help either. And so we often will suffer in silence. When people get behind in their bills, they don't tell anyone. They just ignore the notices as they come in and hope that by ignoring it, it'll disappear. Or I'll win the lotto and all my problems will be solved. And this is the world which we live in. If you want to know why the world the way it is, because this is what happens when man is in control and they get to choose their own destiny. And God says, my hands are off the wheel because I am not invited. 
After 9-11, they asked um, Billy Graham's daughter. They said, where was God? And she said, you've, you've taken God out of schools. You've taken him out of courtrooms. You've ta- taken him out of government. You take him out of every area of life and then you wonder where he is. But this is the world we live in. We don't like to be under control. We like to be in control. We like to make our own determining factors on things. And we don't like to be told what to do. But this is the world which we live in. I mean, you take church. It's not hard to find lots and lots of reasons why not to be here. Right? I stubbed my toe. I'm sick. The kids are sick. Car won't start. There's something else on. I'm tired. I've got work tomorrow. I mean, gosh, the list goes on, right? It's really easy to find li- a list of why not to be here. Because I can. Even though this is what I've che- chosen to do my whole life, the rest of my life, I can find reasons why not to be here. And I can find lots of them. But it doesn't mean that I give in to them. It doesn't mean that I choose to follow those reasons because I only need one to turn up. And here is where the dilemma lies as Christians, as believers. See, we live in this world based upon me, myself and I. Yet we're also Christians, saved by grace. And the world can actually have an impact on how we view things. It can have an impact. It can have, a, uh, it can have an impact on how we read the Bible, how we interpret it. I mean, if you look at the Bible, if you actually grasp it, right, the Bible was never actually written for us. Paul, when he wrote most of the New Testament, didn't think about Brad in 2023. He didn't. It wasn't even a forward thought. Can you imagine that? You open up the book of Romans. Brad, read this. But we put a filter, or we have a filter over our eyes and how we have a perspective of how we read things based upon how we see things, right? How we, our, our brain works. And sometimes that can be greatly affected by the world that we live in. And we can give in to misinterpretation of certain things. I mean, during COVID, to be honest with you, the amount of theology that was coming out that was misguided because it was centered around self. Because this is the problem, right? We read the Bible through a narcissistic viewpoint. Well, we can, through a Western world viewpoint. Yet it was written in an Eastern culture 2,000 years before we even existed. And so we read things thinking they're about me, Oh, this is going to happen because it's all about me. I mean, the amount of times that I've heard that Jesus is coming back in my lifetime is huge. Every five to ten years it comes out again. He's coming back here, he's coming back here, he's coming back here. And yet we still sit here and watch and go, when? People get so focused on certain things because they're thinking about it from a me, myself viewpoint. They read the Bible based upon that me, myself viewpoint. It's all about me. And it's not. 
conflict or the, the context of the Bible wasn't written for us, but the content can be taken from it. The information, the wisdom, the lessons learned, the truth, the peace that can be brought from it is relevant to us. And what happens oftentimes is I talk to people and they start reading the Bible and they're like, I don't get it. And the reason why we struggle reading the Bible, the reason why we struggle to get things out of it is because we're reading it from a me, myself and I. Not a 2,000 years ago Eastern culture. We don't like to this word called study the Bible. We just want to read it and understand it. And even today they write what they, what they call modern translations, but uh, far from the truth because they wash water down words because they want to make it relevant. Now I'm talking about a general level here. And just like we can read the Bible through a religious mindset, and then we see and live everything based upon that belief system. We see rules and regulations that we have to follow. If we read it through a, a perspective of seeing an angry God, then we read the Bible with those lenses on, and we see that we are never good enough. Then we can read it through the opposite, where we see that we are forgiven, and we can do nothing wrong, and then we have almost got a free license to sin. But then we can read it through a self-lens. And the context is written all about me today and now. And it drastically changes how we actually are supposed to understand what we have. Because when you look at the tr difference in, um, in history, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they never had the Bible. They never had anything written down. They had stories. They had memories that they would relate to their children's. They didn't have the, the advantage of having something written down in script. It wasn't until someone decided to writ, write it down on papyrus that something was actually written down. They would sit around the campfire sharing what God had actually done. And then as we go through history or as we go through the generations and generations, we see a little bit of change. They begin to write it as the Torah and begin to write down scripts and today, we have the advantage of actually having the Bible. The only difference is we now have to learn how to read it. But we can get a little bit lazy and just read it from a me, myself, and I. We forget that Paul literally was a tent maker. And that's not a metaphor. And when he traveled... He walked. He didn't get in the latest, you know, EV. Make sure he charged his battery first to make it to the next town. But when we get stuck in this me, myself and I, we can actually miss what is standing right before us. When Jesus came to this earth as a child and as he grew up, he stood before the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He stood before the religious men, the cultural men. He stood before the Jews, right? And these men had known the word. They know the Torah. They know the, the demographics. They know everything that's around it because that was their job. They were to memorize everything about it. They knew it all. And yet, when the word, the person of the word, because Jesus is the word, stood before them, when truth stood before them, they couldn't recognize it because they were too interested in reading it in this 
me, myself, and I filter. That's how much it can stuff up our ability to understand what God is doing. This ability to only see things in a me, myself, and I sees everything related to me or connected to me, that everything means something to me. But we misunderstand that sometimes we can have truth standing right before us and we can miss it because I'm going, me, myself, and I. Now we get to our passage of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can open up the Mark chapter 8, 27 to 38. This is what we've been going through in this series of Forgotten Price. And as we begin to start this year, I have a really good feeling about this year. This is, this is going to be a very unique year, I think. Lots of opportunities. But in Mark chapter 8, 27 to 38, it says this, Jesus went out along with his disciples to a village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, saying, John the Baptist, and others said Elijah, but others said one of the prophets. And they continued by questioning them. And then Jesus said, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again, and he was stating the mainly manifacts, or the manner plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest but man's. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to him, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and my gospel will save it. For what, gain, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now we're going to look at the little bit of passage of Scripture that says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's so anti-culture, this passage. It's so totally in the opposite direction to what we used to. Firstly, it says, If anyone. That is a free, open invitation to literally anyone there is no prior qualifications that you require you don't need to have this color eyes this color hair you don't need to wear this kind of this or have this sort of lifestyle you can come from any country it's an open invitation if anyone if anyone if anyone if anyone wishes to come after me So why should you follow Jesus? Many, many millions, probably even billions of people have heard the message of Jesus and have chosen not to. So why should you? They have chosen that they don't need to follow him. Why? Me, myself and I. And the reason is because most people will generally see themselves as good. 
If you talk to someone who's not in church or not a believer, and you ask them, are you going to heaven? They'll say, yeah, I'm good. I'm God, you know. Why? Because they compare themselves or their level of goodness to the world. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't stolen a car. I recycle. I do all, all the things I'm supposed to do. And when we measure ourselves and we compare ourselves to the goodness of the world or the level of goodness compared to in the world, yeah, we, we probably measure up. There's probably not a, a problem in the world. We'll probably gank it then if that's the measurement. If that's the yardstick, if our yardstick or how we measure is against the world, we are sweet. You'll make it without a problem. The problem is that's not the yardstick. Because we don't understand what the word good is. We don't understand what the measure of goodness is. Because that concept of goodness that we get measured against is not the measurement of the world, it's actually against God. God is the measurement of good. And we get measured according to that. Now how good do you feel now? Because if you're anything like me, you automatically understand that you don't measure up. In fact, Romans 8 talks about the fact that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have fallen short of the goodness of God. We do not measure up. Simply, simply, we do not measure up. And our, what we deserve is not pretty. It's not. And because we've fallen short of that measurement, we need Jesus. We need Jesus to be the retribution for our sins, to pay the price for our sins, the shortfall, the not enough, the not good enough. See, Jesus didn't die on the cross to go, oh yeah, yeah you sicked him for what he, everything you've done and there you go. No, he is the Lamb of God. And when you understand the Hebrew culture, and you've got to go back into the Old Testament and understand and read. Read those fun books. You know, the ones that are called, I don't know, uh, Leviticus and Chronicles. The ones that list the sins and the sacrifices. The ones that are, oh, so boring. Because we don't get it. Because we miss it. Because it's not culturally relevant to us as we appear. But it is because we don't have to do that. Because the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God, came and gave His own life for us. So we don't have to. We don't have to look after sheep and use them for sacrifices. We can eat them. We don't have to have goats for sacrifice. We can eat them too. I mean, there were people who just looked after animals for sacrifice. That was their whole job. We don't have to do that anymore because the perfect Lamb of God died for us. He became our shortfall. I'm forgiven. I've repented. And sometimes we can then go the opposite direction where we're back into this me, myself and I and say, I've already repented. I've already asked for forgiveness. I've already given my life to Jesus. Therefore, uh, that's enough. And we can get trapped in this place. Because we don't understand then 
what we could possibly need from Jesus every single day. Paul says, work out your salvation daily. It's not a one-off event. I put my hand up. Someone prayed for me. I filled out a card. I gave my life to Jesus, and that is it. It is a constant walk. That's why Paul said, work out your salvation daily. Get in, get in the habit of waking up in the morning and go, Jesus, or oh God, where's my heart at? What do I need to work in? What do I need to work out? How do I work out my salvation daily today? What do I need to repent and make right for? Because whatever we are going to repent for, God is faithful to forgive us for. Sometimes it can be hard to understand why we could possibly need Jesus here today. I mean, he died for me. I got salvation. Boom, I'm done. I mean, he lived 2,000 years ago. He doesn't experience what I have to go through. He doesn't understand the stresses of having a family. He doesn't have the stress of working for a person, having to work or having to pay a mortgage. He doesn't understand that. Jesus didn't do that. He had a money change box that they used to give to the guy who used to pilt for money from it. And then they used to walk around and just teach people. They lived in poverty. He doesn't understand. How can he understand my struggle? Who is he to say that I need him? How can he help me? And that's where our lens is shaped wrong. Sometimes we can have the wrong lenses on our eyes, our perspective, just simply because we don't grasp everything of who Jesus is. So I found a few things of who Jesus actually is. There's a bit of a list. Jesus is the Almighty One. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the Advocate. He is the Author and Perfecter of our faith. He is the Authority. He is the Bread of Life. He is the Beloved Son of God. He is the Bridegroom. He is the Chief Cornerstone. He is our Deliverer. He is, our, he is Faithful and He is True. He is our good shepherd. He is our great high priest. He is the head of the church. He is the holy servant. He is the great I am. He is Emmanuel. He is the indescribable gift. He is judge. He is the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. He is the lamb of God. He is the light of the world. He is the Lord of the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Lord of all. He is mediator. He is the Messiah. He is the mighty one. He is the one who sets free. He is one hope. He is peace, he is prophet, he is redeemer. He is risen Lord, he is the rock. He is a sacrifice for all our sins, he is our saviour. He is the son of man, the son of the most high. He is the supreme creator of all, over all. He is the resurrection and the love. He is the door, he is the way, he is the word, he is the true vine, and he is the truth. He is the victorious one, he is the wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And every single one of those is found in the scriptures. And there are more. And I only chose 50. See, his life wasn't just about dying on the cross. His life wasn't just about showing us how to live. It was to teach us and to guide us and to be there for when we need him. He is seated at the right hand of the Father as our mediator, which means every time we've fallen short or we need him, we can call out to him and he intercedes for us, means he speaks on our behalf. It's like we've fallen short, we call out to God and Jesus says, I died for him. He's good. 
That's what happens on a constant basis. And every time we're calling out to the Father, Jesus is stepping in and says, yep, I got him too. I got that one. I got her. That's a good one. Because salvation isn't just a moment in time. It's a continuous process. We are saved. We are being saved and we will be saved. Jesus' life was about grace, it was about mercy, and it was about love. And it's still about grace and mercy and love. And the reason we need him is because everything we need to navigate the world is in him. Because the world is me, myself, and I. We seek the Father through Jesus. That's why Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through me. It's his actions, his life. It's the way to the Father. Along the path that is Jesus. Through the path that is Jesus. You begin to understand truth the more you are connected with him and the more you are know him. And truth brings new life. But the truth is, we have to want to seek Jesus. That's why Jesus gave an invitation to all who want to. We have to want to seek Jesus. We have to need or understand the reason why. You cannot know the how until you have understand the why. You will never solve the problem until you understand the why. Until you understand the why, you will never find the how. Why am I here? Why is he doing what he's doing? Why did he die for me? I mean, look around us. Look at the state of the world. This is a, man, a result of man's decisions for man's purposes, for man's benefits. That means that somebody was trying to do, make decisions based upon themselves' benefit. I find it funny, uh, take this in the right context, that Giselle Maxwell was charged for trafficking. She is now in prison. But the list hasn't come out. The list of who was connected to Epstein hasn't come out. Why? Because I'm trying to protect me, myself and I. This is the world we live in. Now we can sit there and bitch and moan and whinge and complain about it. We can say, oh, this is so wrong and this blah, 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 it's unfair. It's so corrupt and there's so many conspiracy theories. Or we can come to this place, you know what? My faith is in God. I mean, there are people starving all over the world. I mean, as parents, we know this because we have used this line to make sure our children eat their dinner. You don't know how many kids are starving in Africa. Eat your dinner. I mean, do you understand how much food we actually throw away as a country? It's scary. Why? Because it's not A-grade fruit and vegetables. Because me, myself, and I. I won't eat, well, not me, I don't care, but people won't eat C-grade fruit and vegetables because it's not A-grade. It's got a blemish on it. There's not a food shortage at the moment. 
because we throw a lot of it in the waste. We throw a lot of it in the tip. We throw away so much food every day, it's insane. Now, I believe there's enough to feed everybody. I mean, there's enough money in the world to look after everybody on this planet. But me, myself, and I. I'm still trying to work out why someone needs like hundreds of billions of dollars. Me, myself, and I. But there are millions of people, and there have been millions beforehand, whose souls do not know Jesus. In a sense, their souls are damned. Simply because what Jesus did on that cross means nothing to them. They don't have the understanding. They don't have the importance. There's no relevance to them. And inside each one of us, we have this desire to want more. But what we really need is Jesus the Christ. If Jesus is the example for us to follow, if he is what we need, I say if, because that comes down to a personal choice, then we need to listen to him. This becomes important. This has relevance. What I do with it has relevance. It has relevance in my actions, it has relevance in my deeds, the decisions I make, the way I live, the way I respond. I tell people, or we tell people, the only control we have is over what or how we respond to a situation. We cannot control a situation. Control is an illusion. If you didn't know that, you just learned something. So how are we supposed to do all this? How are we supposed to live as believers following the word, following Jesus, living this life, denying ourselves, picking up the cross and following after him in a world that is all centered around me, myself and I. I tell you what, you won't find the answer on social media. And the truth is we're actually supposed to deny ourselves because ourselves is our flesh and it's so focused and so centered in this me, myself and I. And in a world that is a culture of self that values self, how do we value his kingdom over ours? I mean, if you look at Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, TikTok, I don't even know what else. I'm not even up to date with half the stuff. Right? These platforms, all these platforms, all of these platforms value self, promote self. It's how many likes and how many followers you have. Because how many likes and how many followers actually determines how much money you make on that, on those platforms. It's about getting likes, photos, you know? People wake up in the morning, do their makeup, and then get back in the bed to take a photo, just woke up. They do. Or they got these programs where they change bits and pieces. What's that? What's that? Filters, yeah. Right? Got to look good. Or they do the darndest things. And people are like, oh, like this, like this, like this. Why? Why are people so consumed with our phone? I mean, look, no one's innocent here, so 
Sometimes I spend too much time on my phone. It's been something that's been, sub, uh, it's been conscious in my mind. I've got to spend less and less and less. And then every week I get that percentage of how much time I've been on my phone. It's a little bit less than last week, so I'm happy. And I'm getting it down. But this is the world we live in. I mean, our teenagers are becoming consumed with social media. If you ask teenagers in school what they want to be, well, a lot of them will say, I want to be a YouTube star. Why? Oh, I'm going to start TikTok at things. It's crazy. I mean, we, there are people who are called influencers, and all they do is they put on some clothes and take a photo. And people are like, oh, I've got to buy that. And people then, and companies send them clothes to wear. It's, it's insane. I mean, we are bombarded, bombarded with a message of me, myself, and I. If you go back into culture over the last 50 years, through our books, through our movies, everything is changing from we or us to me and I. There are subtle changes, but they've been making them over the last 50 years in literature and all different means, changing the way we do things. I mean, during COVID, what do they tell you? Isolate. Get away from people. People are the problem. No. If you understand the human body about viruses, let me tell you something, right? If you have little children, they're going to go through a series of where they go to kindy and kid, you know, in all the bits and pieces and get sick. And it's okay. It's how they build up their immune system. The problem is when we've come from this period of time of isolate, 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 our immune system is so depressed that we now get sick of everything. I mean, how much sickness did people go through last year? It's this rhetoric of me, myself, and I. What we should have done is all gathered on an oval and we should have had somebody in the middle who had COVID and everyone just dances around. Let's get COVID. And being done with it. But it's this culture. This culture within the world of me, myself, and I. And it's in direct conflict with the kingdom culture. It's in direct conflict of the kingdom that is the kings. And here lies the dilemma. And what's been asked of the church, remember the church is the people, is to choose between the way of the world and the way of the king. And you can't have both. And we've tried to negotiate and go, how, how can I have the way of the king? How can I live in this concept of this culture of the king but still be in this world that is so anti-kingdom? There's no mistake why it's so anti-kingdom. Have you ever worked that one out? The enemy always comes at that very thing that is his. And once we've made our decision, which culture or where we stand, where we will pursue, what we will pursue, how we will live, then we need to move to action. We need to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And that doesn't mean that we stop reaching out to those who are in the world of, with love. It means we don't compromise his values. And what does that mean when it talks about his cross? It means our vulnerabilities. 
It means the acknowledgement of our vulnerability, my lack of not being able to be enough, my need for him. That's what it's talking about. I am supposed to pick up my cross, the acknowledgement of my vulnerability, that I actually need what he did for me in my life every single day. I pick up my cross, my willingness to deny myself, to understand my vulnerability as a human being and know that there is a better way to live and it's not the way I think. It's the way he's already said. I put aside my ego and that one's tough. I put aside myself knowing that he prepares a place for me, that he prepares a place for those who actually believe in a better way. And a better way isn't to live in this world and call myself a Christian. Because let's be honest, right? It's really hard, really hard to tell who's a Christian and who's not. Because so many people, we dance in the world we call ourselves Christians, yet on Sundays, we're believers. The better way is actually giving of ourselves and not getting. I deny myself, I follow him through all that life throws at me. Knowing that this, this life is but a vapor means it is short. It is a dressing room for eternity. That's how short it is. It's just a dressing room. And when I fall down, and when I don't quite meet the mark, when I feel like I'm just not enough, when I feel I'm judged, when I feel I'm condemned, I can call out to Him and He is more than enough. It's this place of understanding grace and mercy. We don't deserve this, but he, he has this understanding of who we are. He understands sin. He understands humanity because He created us. He understands what we're able to do. He understands what we're not. He understands when we fall short, His hand is reached out waiting for us to grab hold and say, I'll pick you back up, and then we'll keep walking along. He doesn't just go, oh, buddy, sorry. He's there to pick us back up. It's why he created this concept called church because we're never actually supposed to be alone. We're never actually supposed to do this by ourselves. We're there to help each other. And in the original context, your marriage partner, your partner you marry is actually your help mate. There are times that my wife helps me up, encourages me. And on occasions, very, very few occasions because she's amazing. I might be there to do it for her. But we're helpmates to each other. But it doesn't just end there. If you're going through a hard time, you're not alone. Make friends with people in the church. So when you need somebody, and you will, and you don't make friends because you know you're going to need someone, you make friends because you need people. You can give them a call. It doesn't have to be me, but if you want, you can call me. You can call my wife. 
You can call someone else in the church that you're good friends with, that you trust. Maybe it's just to have a coffee with, just to chill out. Maybe it's to go find a nice steak and have a steak, I don't know. Maybe it's to go camping somewhere or go somewhere and just chill out, have a coffee. I don't know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. But we actually need to make room for him. And how we make room for him is we get out of the way. We take away the me, myself, and I, and we move into the it's about you. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're far from him. Perhaps this is a foreign concept or maybe you're struggling with it all. It doesn't make sense. Then I invite you to put things back in order. I invite you to put him first. I invite you to make him Lord and Savior, or Savior and Lord, I should say. To repent and make it known today that you are a believer, you are a Christian. And what I'll do is I'll stand down the front and I'll wait. But we're going to pray. We're going to close the meeting. There's tea and coffee outside. We encourage you to fellowship. Stay a while, chat with someone, get to know someone you may not know. We have life group at our place at four. If you come along, bring a plate of food to share. If you can't do that, then just turn up. We'll look after you. Uh, it's just a time of fellowship. You can bring your kids. The kids have a ball playing around. We sit around, chat, you know, everything we need. You just come along, bring yourself. Why? Because it's fellowship. And we need a fellowship. We need to encourage each other. We need to share with each other. If you have a need, you can get prayer. You can talk with someone. Get to know someone. But we'll pray. Eh? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a loving God. And that you know that sometimes we're just a little bit silly. Father, I thank you that you are not about judging us, but you are about loving us. That you love us into a position to surrender. That your grace and mercy is never-ending and overflowing. That your love for us cannot be calculated. It is more than enough. Father, I thank you for every person here. I thank you for all that you're doing in this year and even at the beginnings, Father. I speak your mighty hand. I speak your anointing that breaks the yoke. I speak your blessings in your favor. I speak increase. We speak covering the hedge of protection this week. Bless us all as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.